Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Everybody seems to worship, from the four living beings to the 24 elders to the myriads of angels to innumerable throngs from the tribulation to all creation. They worship loudly, demonstratively, and often. In our passage today, we'll see a remarkable worship event take place. A new song is sung by different, with different verses, each being sung by an ever larger choir. As we look more closely at the worship in heaven, we'll let it challenge us to go deep with our own worship of the Lord. We'll begin by examining this heavenly worship service. Next, we'll consider some of the common features we see. And then we'll consider steps that might help us grow as worshipers. And finally, we'll consider ways each of us can sing a new song. Revelation chapter 5. We are, I, I, wanted to, I, I wanted to go back to this chapter and show you what is a remarkable event and just let it stir us as we consider our own worship. Jesus has just taken the scroll from the Father's hand. The scroll, in my opinion, contains the the prophecies of the, of the last days, those things which speak of Jesus coming as the Lion of God. We said God in his mercy did not fulfill all the prophecies concerning the Messiah. He only fulfilled part of them, and it was his mercy to us that he sent Jesus as the Lamb before Jesus comes as the Lion. When he comes as the Lion, he comes as a warrior and a judge, and there, the season of mercy of grace, in that sense, is at an end, and he comes to judge the world. So God sent his son as a lamb to die for our sins and to give us this, this opportunity to repent and be restored to his original plan for our lives, to live with him and to glorify him forever. Thanks be to the Lord for his mercy. As Jesus takes this scroll, the Father gives it to him, no one in heaven or earth was found to be worthy to take the scroll except Jesus. And as he takes it and is announced worthy, a song breaks out in heaven. It's spontaneous, and it's a, it's a remarkable gala event. It has three verses and three different choirs that sing it. And I want you to, to see this new song, beginning there at verse 8. When he had taken the book... The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp. What do you do with a harp? You play it in worship, right? It's a worship instrument. So he's representing worship and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So they have a harp and a bowl. The harp, speaking of worship, the bowl meaning that the prayers of the saints have not been forgotten, but have been retained, all of them, and will be fulfilled in their proper time. 
So they come before him. This is the four living creatures and the 24 elders, those closest around the throne. The 24 elders, in my opinion, are, the, are, the, are humans. They are the, the uh, leaders of the old and the new covenant. The four living creatures are, are angelic beings. And they sang a new song. I had never really known what a new song was. I've read that phrase, new song. I've sung songs about new songs since I was a brand new believer. Sing unto the Lord a brand new song. I mean, I've sung new song, and I think it's a cool phrase, and I never had a clue what it meant until today. Actually, until yesterday. It is a powerful phrase, and I had no idea how many new songs there were in the Bible. I didn't even understand. It was an entire theme of worship. A new song is one which is, the, the phrase is used in the Psalms, Psalm 33, 40, 96, 98, 144, and there's actually others. And Isaiah uses it, 42:10. The command to sing a new song seems to be a way of encouraging people to respond creatively to God's ongoing acts of salvation and miracles. New songs need to be written in order to worship God for the new things he does. You got it? Old songs are fine as a means of thanking him for his past actions. But since he keeps saving, healing, delivering, guiding, new songs need to be written. You write a new song when God does a new thing. You memorialize it. You capture it. You take the heart of what he's done and you put it in, you worship him and thank him and put that lesson learned in your memory forever by writing a new song. There are so many examples of it. When Israel crossed through the Red Sea, the waters parted and the, and the nation went through and, and then they closed over the Egyptian army and destroyed them. And as they stand on the eastern shore of what is the Gulf of Aqaba, Moses wrote a new song and Miriam and the women took tambourines and formed a huge line and danced to it and celebrated the new song for God had done a new work of deliverance of his people. You see that? Oh, you've got all kinds of examples. Uh, um, Moses writes another new song. It's in Deuteronomy 31. I give you the reference. Uh, Deborah, the judge, Deborah, as uh, she led Israel in their victory over the Midianites along with Barak. Uh, when they won, she wrote a new song. Uh, David, of course, you'd know he would. Uh, Psalm 18 is a new song in response to a great work of deliverance that God did. Um, uh, 2 Samuel 22 records another new song of David's. Um, all of these, and somebody pointed out to me uh, last night a new song I had overlooked. When Christ was born, in response to that, a huge myriad of angels came to sing a new song over his birth. This is the way God thinks. Songs should be written every time he answers a prayer. Every time a new revelation is given. Every time a miracle is there. Every time a family member or a friend or a co-worker gets saved. A new song should be written to memorialize uh, and glorify him for what he's done. It causes us to give thanks, to remember and to transfer the lesson learned. We put it in a song so that others can learn what we've just discovered of God. So 
they're going to sing a new song. Now, let me show you how this takes place. It's done in three verses, and three different groups each sing a verse. First of all, the inner core, the smallest group, is, the, is these four living creatures and the 24 elders, and this is what they sing. They say, and, and by the way, they, all of them pick up the theme, the worthiness of Jesus. That's the theme of the song. So they say this, they give, uh, he is worthy because, worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, open up the last day's prophecies and bring the earth to an end, bring it to judgment and bring it into the new righteous kingdom. You're worthy to do it for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Boy, there's going to be, in heaven, there's going to be every people, every people, uh, every tongue will be there. First of all, you're worthy because you paid the ransom. You bought humans who were perishing. You bought them eternal life. And then, secondly, verse 10, there's another reason he's worthy. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. He has restored God's original purpose. I won't take time at this, but you'll just highlight the point. You were created for rulership. Genesis 1, I think I give you the reference. Psalm 8 is another example. You and I, humans, were created to rule God's creation in submission to God. We were to be his regents and rule his planet. Well, when we sinned, uh, we followed the devil's leading, and you can see what our rulership over this planet has done. We have just about devastated the place, and the question is, how long will it last before we, we, we spoil it entirely? <laughs> but we're full of sin, we're full of murder, we're full of selfishness, we've exploited what we were given to care for. That's a, that, but he will restore our rulership. You, we will again rule over his creation, and this time, with submitted hearts to Jesus Christ, we'll do a good job. We're also to be priests, it says. Priests lead people in worship. So the, we redeemed humans will be leading all creation in worship. We're the leaders of the choir. That's our calling to lead worship. So Jesus is worthy because he's restored God's purpose and because he's paid the ransom and bought people from, uh, from slavery to sin. Now, verse 11. Here comes the second verse of this great song about his worthiness. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. I think it means around those things. So this is an angelic choir, but if the living creatures and elders want to sing, they may. And the number of them, it says, was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Myriads in Greek literally is um, 10,000, but it's the largest number the Greeks had. So, if you actually, if you take that mathematically and add it up, it's 101 million. So, it's a lot, even if you added it, but it just means uncountable numbers of angels. So, we've gone from this small group in the middle to this maybe 100 million angels singing. And here's what the angels sing. And, and their theme, they pick up the theme of worthiness and they say, Jesus, because you're worthy, here are the rewards of your worthiness. Here's what you have won by your worthiness. And let's see what they are. In fact, why don't you read it out loud with me and we'll sound a bit like an angelic choir. 
Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Let me I just, I want to just highlight for a minute why, why they say that, just to give you a sense of it. He's worthy to receive power. Why? Because he became servant of all. I want you to see how the kingdom of God works here. There's this, there's this reverse sort of thing. He, he's worthy to be, receive power because he became a servant of all of us. He would be great in God's kingdom will be servant of all. Christ has become a servant, so he's worthy to receive, receive power. He became poor. He left heaven's treasures and became poor and gave up everything he deserves He's worthy to receive the riches of heaven. He became the foolishness of God. Jews stumbled over the fact that the Messiah was crucified. Gentiles stumbled over the fact that a man would be resurrected. People laughed at him and mocked at him. He's worthy to be honored for he is the wisdom of God. Through him, the salvation has come. He actually fooled the devil and deceived him into losing the control of the human race. He is wise indeed. He deserves to be acknowledged for it. He became weak. I mean, even in a physical sense. At one point, the son of God became a, 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 a fetus in a woman's womb. I mean, that's weak. But he who became weak deserves might and power that he might bring the armies of heaven. Amen? He who humbled himself, even to the point of the cross, deserves to be honored. He who set aside the privileges of heaven and did not regard the equality with God a thing to be uh, clinged, held on to, he deserves someday to be seen shining with the divine glory of God and seen in who the glory that he is. He who was cursed and mocked and spit on deserves to be blessed forever and ever. Amen? Yes. That's what the angels say. Now let's look at the third verse, verse 13. And now it goes from 100 million angels. You say, that's an awful lot of angels. Oh, it gets bigger than that, though. The third verse is the, is the, is the, is the big finale. Now, every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all the things in them, all creation sings together now. And here's what they say. Shall we join them? To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. All creation focuses on this fact. They say, Jesus, you, are des you deserve to be acknowledged for your divinity even as the Father. The, the glories and worship that go to the Father, to him who sits on the throne, that's the Father, should also be given to the Lamb. The Father and the Son are to be worshipped together as God. Do you see that? You'll find that theme. I give you other references. you find it right through the book of Revelation. We are seeing Jesus as the divine begotten Son of God who is to be worshipped as God even as the Father. And then it concludes with a beautiful quartet. It does. You look at me like, where's he going? 
a beautiful quartet. Now, having had these three great verses crescendoing in all creation, it concludes with the four creatures. And they sing an amen chorus at the end, saying repeatedly, amen. And that means, yeah. Um, <laughs> we deeply agree. And so they're singing amen with these beautiful voices and concluding, and the elders fell down and worshiped. Wouldn't that be a great, great worship service to be part of? Amen. Everybody said amen. amen. There you go. Sounding like the four living beings. I won't take you through them, but I just want you to see. I give you a list. It would be worth your time this afternoon or sometime this week to just read through each of those worship events that I list there. There's a beautiful chapter 4, chapter 5, 7, 14, 15, 19. Each of them shows different groups of people worshiping. One place is the Gentiles from the tribulation. Other place is the, it's the Jewish 144,000. Another place it's the martyrs who sing the song of Moses. Just as Moses was delivered from Egypt, uh, the martyrs have been delivered from the Antichrist. And so they sing this great song of deliverance and great multitudes in heaven in, in chapter 19. All of these m massive worship sessions and they're beautiful. Let me show you some of the common features we see in heaven in their worship. Number one, I don't find any example of an individual worshiping. I, I'm not arguing against that. But it just to stress the point, it's corporate worship. They sing together. They love to sing together. Uh, you're you're going to be someday singing part, uh, part of, uh, of such a great number that the description will be sound like roaring waters. And you're going to be singing in a great choir of, of, of redeemed humans and with all creation. It's energetic. I mean, they don't just sit there and go, yeah, God, you're the man. <laughs> they are crying out, it says. They are crying out and they sing. And you can just see the passion in heaven as they worship. It's demonstrative. I mean, they cast their crowns if they have them on their heads. They fall down on the ground and lie there before him. They wave palm branches. It's a demonstrative worship. It's clearly, forgive me, it's clearly Pentecostal. <laughs> it's not three hymns in a lecture, I'll tell you that. <laughs> it is Pentecostal. They're on the ground. They're casting crowns. They're, they're, just, they're just very, very demonstrative in their worship. It's musical. They sing and they play harps. It's spontaneous. Uh, nobody says, all right now, all right now, myriads of angels. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Not till I say go. All right, ready? Go. There's nothing like that going on. It's just spontaneous. They're just worshiping because every time you see the beauty and the love of God, your heart rises up and wants to worship him. It's responsive. They respond to the new things God is doing. They're constantly writing new music in heaven. And now, I hesitate to mention this one, but I'm going to. It's loud. For those of you who write me notes. All I can say is we're just approaching heaven. No. I mean, there's, I, I'm not arguing to hurt your ears. But I will say that heaven is loud. And if the instruments and the sound system shouldn't be loud, our voices should. We should be worshiping him passionately and heartfeltly. 
Let me remind you of some things about worship. Number one, worship is not a means to an end. We don't worship in order to do something else. You don't worship to warm up for the sermon. If there were no sermon, worship, it's an end in itself. We were created for this. We will worship forever. Do you understand? You worship because God's worthy of worship. Worship is the response when you see and behold God. You can't help yourself. You worship him. And so we will be worshiping in eternity forever. None of that passes away. We'll worship more in heaven than we do here now. Secondly, worship is something we'll do, well, I've just said that, forever. It's a natural response to the love of God. You know, you think, how can I worship forever? Won't it get boring? I mean, won't I just, you know, how many times can you sing the third verse? Well, let me ask this. How boring is it when you feel the sweet anointing of the Holy Spirit come over you? I'll tell you what's boring. Boring is being in the flesh in the world. That is boring. Feeling depressed, feeling angry, feeling fearful, feeling all of that junk, that's boring. But boy, when I'm close to the Lord and when his power is really on me, it's like, what could I do to stay here forever? All right, well, in heaven, the intensity of the glory of God will be so strong that were we not in resurrected bodies, it would kill us. You have to be resurrected. You could not even come into that place where we're going to be on the sea of glass close to the Lord. You couldn't bear it. It would destroy you in an instant. Smoke you like a bug on one of these bug lights. um, There you go. So you're going to be in a resurrected body, but you're going to be able to tolerate, to to rejoice in that level. And and let me say something. The, the, The power of God is not like electricity or some, some force field. Imagine love. Imagine purity and kindness. Imagine his sweetness just flowing in waves. That's the power of God. That's what we're going to live in. So you say, am I going to get tired of that? Not likely. <laughs> it is joyful. It is freely given. Worshiping him is our highest joy. I made uh, uh, an instruction during the worship earlier that we need to move from singing songs theologically from our minds. That worship is, is a personal thing. Worship is when it's you and him. It's when you're talking to him, not about him. There's a difference. Singing songs about God and singing songs to God. Do you see the difference? There's nothing wrong with singing songs about God to a point, but it should always be taking us to singing songs to God. It's a joy to us. People, that's where we're being drawn. We're being drawn to relationship. We're being drawn to intimacy. God made you for himself. This isn't talk. There's no other reason. What on earth? earth would he have created us for? We have been nothing but a headache. He did not need us for a second. He wasn't lonely. There's a love between the Father, Son, and the Spirit that, and, and, and a joy and a dance that's going on in heaven. They don't need us. But because of the love of the heart of the Father, he wants to love more. And so he's opened his door. He's welcomed us. He's drawn us to come and join him 
in that love relationship. I just want to say to you, you are being drawn deeper in worship. God will draw us ever deeper, closer to him. Some people say, well, I don't like to worship very much. You know, I think it's fine for some of these demonstrative and emotional types, you know. But I just don't do that stuff. You will. And I'll say, I'll say one of the things I watch is as people begin to really go on with God, moving beyond a sort of a, a nominal church attendance, and they begin to really open up to an intimacy, is they often go through a stage when they weep a lot, even men. And I'll, I'll have people apologize to me and say, Pastor, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I'm just, I, I can't help it if I weep. You're melting. You're melting. <laughs> you knew I'd go there. The self-consciousness, the fear, the sense of guilt and separation from God is melting. And you begin to sense that he's really there and he really loves you. And, there's, and he really is powerful and he's got a plan and purpose for you. And the relief is palpable. Some steps. I believe God is drawing each of us a step Closer. He's drawing us closer to himself. That will mean different things for different people. There is not a right and a wrong in a sense. But we need to be willing to let him take us deeper. Here's some, some suggestions to allow that to happen. Number one, we need to take time to worship alone. Worship should not be simply something we do at church. But there ought to be times where you worship him alone. And, and within a... You, on your knees, I mean, or on your, on your face, or I don't dance to speak of. I hop a bit in the generation service. <laughs> I haven't got much elevation. Um, but I will dance at home on occasion. I pull it. You'll never see it. Uh, <laughs> I pull the shades. I, not even the dog watches this. Sometimes I just feel like, I, I, I actually don't initiate it generally. The Holy Spirit, the Lord says, come dance with me. Okay. And, I go, oh. and, and I, I just twirl a bit, you know, or whatever. I happen to be, you know, here I am prodding you. But there's nobody that's more self-conscious and, and awkward at some of this than I. Uh, I, it is not easy for me. It never has been. I mean, I can remember being a high school student, and we went, my mom took me to this Pentecostal church, and the thing about that pastor is he wouldn't let you off the hook. I mean, he literally would look through the crowd, and he'd eye you. And um, so I'm standing. I'm a high school student, all right? My jacket's zipped to here. I got my hands in my pockets. Leave me alone. <laughs> I'm just here. She made me come. And... He's got worship going, and he looked right through that crowd, and he spotted me, and he says, worship the Lord. Come on. Get your hands up. And he's looking right. I'm really not exaggerating this very far. I mean, he just wouldn't let me go. Come on, praise him. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Yea, God. You're good. Yeah. 
I just sort of coughed it out, you know? Now, here's what really gave me consternation. I felt so much better afterwards. It's like you shouldn't feel better when they make you do it. Shouldn't work like that. It's not right. But he made me praise God. Come on, come on. Hallelujah, praise God. Yeah, yeah, you know, and then after a while, you know, then after a while, the sweetness of the Lord would come over me because I was finally letting him. I was letting him. Time to worship alone, time, gather with other believers for a corporate worship. Some people say, I, you don't have to be a, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Look, if you mean you don't have to go to a bad church, I would agree with you. Who wants to go to bad church? <laughs> but if you're saying, now I'm a Christian, but I don't ever want to have to worship with other believers. Don't ever make me listen to the Bible taught. And for heaven's sakes, I don't want to have to love other Christians or worship beside them. That's a bluff if I ever heard it. It's people who don't really love God at all and don't want to be annoyed or have some sort of problem. Why in the world would you not want to gather with the body of Christ and worship? A healthy Christian who loves the Lord loves to go to church. I mean, I'm just, I'm just, I hear this, and it's kind of the thing in the American culture right now. I don't need that. I turn on the radio. So you don't ever want to be with us, right? Don't, you didn't mean to answer that. He said, no. No, he was, he was kidding. I'll just throw this in. Years ago, I, I, when I was a young man, I was very critical. You think I mean now. You should have seen me when I, was, I knew everything. And I'd, I'd make this remark. I'd say, Lord Jesus, I love you, but I don't like your, your people much. And I would say that and kind of feel smug. And one day, he stopped me short in my tracks. And he spoke back to me. And he said, I don't want you to ever say that again. I love my people. Don't you ever talk about them like that. It was one of those bang, right? My face. I, 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 was, I was corrected. You know he loves us even with our flaws and our weaknesses. He loves me with my flaws and my weaknesses. And he wants us to love each other with our flaws and weaknesses, not judge each other, but to help each other and be kind to each other and patient with each other, doesn't he? We need to make a decision to be a worshiper. There's an actual decision that goes on. I mean, you can just cross your arms and stare straight ahead and nobody can make you do anything. It's a decision you have to want to make, to move past singing about God to singing to God. I think that there's, for some, I suppose in all of us, there's subconscious obstacles that need to be removed. We need to actually work on ourselves. If we're really hung up on this, we need to go before the Lord and let him show us. Some of us, it's a shame matter. We are aware of our sin and we're rather convinced he doesn't really like us, that he may have to let us into heaven, but, we're not, we, but we don't imagine that he would want a fellowship with us. And so we're here, but my goodness, we're ashamed. And we, we were just kind of, how many times have I heard the comment, oh, well, if I went to church, the roof would fall in, you know. Yeah, yeah well, it didn't fall in on us. I ain't going to fall in on you either. My thought is often you have no idea who's in our church. <laughs> I am so pleased when people who, are, who are really have been out there in the world and really sinned, I love it when they come to church. I, am so, I think it's a sign of a healthy church. 
anger, bitterness, busyness. We need to work on our hearts and say, you know, I need to let that happen. Uh, men and women, we need to let a soft heart come. The Bible says, I'll take out the stony heart and I'll give you a heart of flesh. And you're going to feel again. And you're going to weep at times. Weeping is not crying. I, I virtually never cry. But I will weep often when the anointing of the Lord comes over me. It's very different. It's not crying. Learn to humble myself before God. Being demonstrative for me has not been easy. It's not probably easy for some of you. But I'll tell you something. Our bodies do need to reflect the attitudes of our hearts. And it ought not to be an odd thing for us to kneel before the Lord. Years ago, my family went to uh, Jamaica. I, I was asked to speak at Christ for the Nations. They had a school down there in Montego Bay. And uh, they had a beautiful chapel and several hundred people. And I'm the guest speaker for the week. Oh. And uh, I was on the, up on the platform and we were having the worship and I'm sitting in this seat and I'm dignified. I'm the guest speaker. Did I mention that? And, and so I'm, you know, I'm there. And, and one of the pastors, there was other pastors up on the platform with me. One of the pastors next to me got down during the worship service. And I'm going to tell you, they worship in Jamaica anyway. It's just beautiful. But he gets down on his, he got down on his knees with his head in a, in a carpet like this. And he was just pouring his heart out before the Lord. And, and, and I'm sitting there. being dignified. And the Lord spoke to me. He said, that man's free, far freer than you are. And then he said this, head down, rear up. <laughs> it took me a while. I mean, you rebuke you, Satan, you know. No. And okay, so I'm finally, hundreds of people. Did I mention I was the speaker? <laughs> <laughs> and I sort of, and is this okay? It's not okay. <laughs> and I began to praise the Lord and feel just the sense the Lord said, I'm your Lord. I deserve this. You are not too great, Stephen, to bow before me. Then I came up and I look over and my family have just gone wild. They, they are dancing. I mean, their whole group is dancing. My children, they just love Jamaica. They were dancing and just worshiping the Lord with such abandon. And I could just sense something peeling off of us. There's something about our culture something about me, I think, also, even as their father, that tends to simply make it too tight. What might be demonstrative for one would not be for another. Bowing, kneeling, raising of hands. I mean, for somebody, you may be out on the edge just doing this. Jonathan challenged us in the worship, and he said, just let yourself go one step farther than your comfort zone. You remember that? In other words, 
Give of your heart to the Lord. It isn't a matter as if we, if we were really, really, really demonstrative, we would be great worshipers. I mean, you can have really, really, really demonstrative people that are just obnoxious, all right? So it isn't simply the demonstrativeness as if it was a standard you had to achieve. What it is is the, our heart giving a sacrifice of praise, expressing what's in there sincerely and not being all tied up and worried about what others are thinking of us or even what we think of ourselves. Being willing to love him with abandon is the issue. And so for somebody, it might be simply lifting your head to him. You've moved from a rational thinking, you sing songs theologically to he's here and I'm talking to you. So whatever it is, the Lord is calling us deeper into more tender things. Now, one more last point I want to make. And that is I want to ask the question, how can I sing a new song? There's an entire theme through the Bible of new songs. That when God does new things, new songs ought to be sung. You and I need to stop and, and really memorialize the, the, the things God does in our lives. When someone's saved, when there's an answer to prayer, when there's a healing, when there's a guidance or a revelation that's given to us, we need to simply not go on by and let it just lie in the dust. You don't have to sing a new song with music, in my opinion. There's so many ways we could sing a new song. It might be as simple as journaling it, just writing down and remembering the good things that God has done. It can be, I believe you could paint a new song. I believe that you could write a poem and it would be a new song. You could take a photograph and it would be a new song. You could sculpt something, it would be a new song. You could write a short play, it would be a new song. You could dance unto the Lord and it would be a new song. Miriam did. I think the Lord would love it if Northwest Church would sing a lot more new songs. What I'm doing is opening the door and inviting you to write poetry to sing songs, to sculpt things, to write music, and to begin to capture the miracles and the wonders and the faithfulness God is doing in your life. Let's let it rise like a sweet aroma. Let's come before him with a harp and a bowl. Prayers of the saints and a song of worship to him. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, this day, we thank you so much that you are always doing new things in our lives. We would walk with you in faith and let, let your wonders and miracles take place. And then, Lord, we would remember with new songs that we would sing before you, never forgetting the faithfulness and the goodness of God. Father, I pray that we as a church and I as a pastor, because I have no place to sit in any superiority in this, I probably, as much or more than anyone, need to allow myself to, with less pride and less self-consciousness, less fear, whatever it is, give myself to you with abandon. Love you from the heart not worrying of what others will say or think or how I look to myself. We would be true worshipers. We're preparing and rehearsing for heaven. But even now, it's real. Your sweet anointing comes. Your, your loving 
kindness is upon us. And Lord, it is indeed the air we breathe and it is the bread we eat. Jesus, you said you would never leave us or forsake us and you have not. But you are with us even to the end of the age. We would worship. We would worship to the end of the age. And then we'll worship forever with the angels of heaven and with the redeemed of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord our God. Blessed be the name of the Lord our God. Thank you, Jesus. I did not give an invitation in either of the services last night. I didn't plan to do it now. But I simply feel the prodding of the Spirit to just ask this question. As I've talked about heaven and I've talked about the eternal life ahead of us, is there anyone today who would say, you know, I'm not absolutely sure that I will go. I don't know, but I'd like to know. If what I'll ask in one moment is simply that you just signal me by raising your hand, and I'm going to have us just pray as a congregation. The prayer that receives Jesus as our Lord and Savior. It's two things that really are essential. One is you must surrender your life to Him. That's called repentance. Giving up control. Control to decide right and wrong. Control to decide your destiny. What you do is you go from being defensive to being trusting of God as your Heavenly Father. Believing that He loves you and that He's wise and He's good. And so you put your hand in God's hand and you let Him lead you. From now on, He's He's God and you're not. And the second thing is to acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God, that he died on the cross, and in doing so, he was paying for the sin of the world. And not just in a general sense, but you're believing today that he's died for your sins. That because he died on the cross, your sins, not only what you've done up to this point in your life, but what you will have done the rest of your life, that he literally pays for it all. You won't earn anything. You don't deserve a thing from God. But that you would trust Jesus' work on the cross to open the door of heaven for you. That's called saving faith. Repentance, surrendering lordship, and saving faith. Trusting the work of Christ on the cross to open the door of heaven for you. With those two things, we would then pray to let the Holy Spirit come into us as a living temple and we would invite him there. That's what I would pray. Does anyone say today, I wish you'd pray that because I need to pray that today. Anyone want to raise your hand and say, Pastor, I want to pray that prayer today and receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want to be part of that heavenly choir. I want to be in eternity forever. Yes, praise God. Yes. It's another. Praise the Lord. Who else? This is an important moment. It's really the most important moment of the morning is that people are making decisions about their eternity. I'll just ask once more. I'm not going to drag it out, but this is my last request. Anyone else say, I need to do that, Pastor? Just raise your hand. Yes, God bless you. Yes, God bless you. This is why I wait a minute takes the Holy Spirit just a little bit of time. Yes, God bless you too. All right. All right. Thank you, Lord. 
Yes. You'll never be sorry. I'm telling you, this is how you go to heaven. I know what I'm talking about. I know what the Bible says. Repentance and faith in Christ. This is how you go to heaven. And it starts with a decision. You can't promise him you've got everything together. You can't promise him you know how to get rid of all your sins and problems. He'll, he cleans his fish after he catches them. He'll clean you after he catches you. Your only decision is, will you give your life to him? He will take it from there. I said I wouldn't ask another time, so I won't. But if you stuck your hand out, I'd acknowledge it. All right. Let's pray with those that raise your hand. Everybody together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son. I believe in Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God. He came from heaven and became a man. He died on the cross for the sins of the whole world. He died on the cross for my sins. All of them. All that I have ever done. All that I will ever do. He paid for it all. Right now, this day, I believe. He died for my sins. And by faith in Him, I am completely forgiven. Blessed be the name of my Savior. Jesus Christ, I am today a rebel no longer. I am not independent. My life is not my own. My future is not my own. I trust you. I trust your goodness. I trust your love. And so I put my hand in yours. And I ask you to lead me. Guide me. Mold me. Until I'm the person. You've called me to be. What you say is right. What you say is wrong. You're the Lord. You're the Lord. I'm not anymore. My Savior and my Lord, I will love you and trust you to the last breath in my body. I mean what I pray. Now, Holy Spirit, as I have been forgiven by Jesus Christ, I ask you to come inside me. Take up your residence to fill me and never leave me for all eternity. I would be a temple of God. Lord, you are my goodness, my strength, my wisdom. Because you enter me, I will be changed. I'll be a new person, free, at last come Holy Spirit my dear Lord I declare now because Christ is my Savior and my Lord because the Spirit of God has filled me for I've invited him God is my Father heaven is waiting for me eternal life is mine this minute 
I too will stand on that sea of glass and rejoice forever. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you that raised your hand or those of you that didn't but should have, we're having a water baptism in another month or so. I would love, when is it? Is it next month? I would love to have you water baptized. That I would say would be the next step. Be water baptized. And uh, I'll, I'll let you know when that's coming, but it's, it's a very powerful way of you symbolizing your total surrender to Jesus Christ and the new life that you now live. And it's the way Jesus asked you to say it. He started water baptism. Christians have been baptized ever since Jesus. And so we do that. So I invite you to be water baptized. Father God, thank you so much today for all that you have done. And may we be released in our worship, all of us, to a deeper level. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord lift up his countenance. That means his presence. Lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.